0: Get mad at me for going long anyway. So, uh, but I just love the fact that we can come together and uh, and share hearts and be open about it and know each other in such a small community enough to really just say, man, man, these people love me and they'll pray for me, and, and that we can count each other to say, you know, we have people like like Ronnie that have big things happening tomorrow, and Julia's looking for a job, and, and and are honest about these these needs, and we can remember these things throughout the week. We're not our prayer time is not isolated to just these moments, but our prayer is that. Maybe you'd get in the habit of when, you, when we're here and you're hearing these things, that you'd be jotting them down and you'd be carrying them with you and that you would lift those things up throughout the week um, as well. So big kind of carryover to what we're doing. So we're starting a new series for the summer and... <clears throat> Like a lot of the things that I end up teaching on, it's usually born out of something that's happening in my own life, all right? So we finished up James, 16 weeks of James, and really that whole series was born out of sort of a wrestle that I was having in my own spiritual life about just the mediocrity that I was living in, That I know that God had so much more for me, yet I just felt like my life was spiritually mediocre, and as I began to read James on my own, God began to transform my heart, calling me to a deeper relationship with him and to live this authentic Christian life, and so that was kind of kind of what set up our study of the book of James and and like a lot of the things that I end up teaching about they're just things that God is teaching me. It's things that God is doing. It's not like I've got some great superior knowledge and I'm like, okay, well this week I'll share this with you. I mean, God is moving in me and this is just sort of a a place for me to share what God is doing in my own life and we get to learn and study it together. And this series that we're going to step into this summer is really, was born out of an experience I had about a month ago. I was sitting in this coffee shop like I often do, and I was reading the book of James like I was doing for 16 weeks over and over and over again, and I could tell out of the corner of my eye that this guy was kind of staring at me, right, which doesn't really bother me, but it was really getting to the point where it was like super awkward, like I kind of knew, either he, I knew him or I should have known him or you know, some, I could tell something was on his mind, and either he had some kind of question, or he was like really checking me out, and whatever, and I was kind of hoping it was the first one, not the latter, because the latter is always awkward, but I, uh, so I, I just started going, okay, so I don't know, you know, that was all distracted, and so I could tell after like 15 minutes, he finally kind of got enough courage to come up, and he started walking over to me, and he uh, just kind of nonchalantly glanced down, and he says, uh, he goes, what are, uh, what are you reading? Well, I already knew he kind of knew what I was reading. I mean, he knew, I could tell he knew it was my Bible, but I, I wanted to kind of make him spit out whatever it was that he had, uh, was going on, whatever he was thinking. I said, well, it's, it's, I'm just reading the Bible. And then we kind of just awkwardly, I was sitting down here standing up, stared at each other for a few minutes, like literally, and I was like, uh, I didn't know what to say. So I just was like, well, have you ever read it? And he goes, no, I tried, I've tried, but I've never actually made it through it. And he said, have you, have you read the whole thing? And I said, I have. I've, I've read the whole thing several times. He goes, he goes, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, can I ask you a question? And I thought, well, you know, here we are. Why not? Sure. I said, sure. And he goes, do you really believe all the miracles that, and he uses the word Jesus, but for our kind of study, we're going to be talking about God, but he goes, do you really believe all the, the miracles that Jesus did? I mean, do you believe they really happened, that they're true? I thought about it for a second, and without really answering his question, I said, I, I take it you don't. And he said, I don't know, it just seems all really so unbelievable. And I said, Well, is, is that what is holding you up from reading the Bible? And he said, No, not really, but I think it's holding me up from believing the Bible. I really thought about that interaction. We talked for a little bit longer, and, and, and I was kind of walking out, and I was really thinking about that interaction. And I thought to myself, this guy's question was really not a question about the Bible. It was really a question about the nature of God, right? I started thinking about my own life and the things that we've walked through, and that that I've walked through, the marathon I've walked through, that you've probably walked through, and I thought at the very core of his question was a very real kind of uh, mindset, which is, These miracles that make up scripture, right, everything from God creating the universe to the virgin birth to the resurrection of Jesus to Jesus feeding 5,000 and multiplying bread and casting out demons and walking on water, all these things, I mean, do I really believe that God did those? And more so, do I really believe that he still can? Now, even for Christians, I think it's a very big question that most of us are really afraid to admit out loud that we've fought. Because we're taught that we're supposed to just sort of believe this because it's there and when we ever question or have some kind of creeping doubt, somehow it's some kind of lack of faith and we're very fearful of that. Like God's going to say, look at us and go, see, I knew you didn't believe. You know, I mean, we think that that's how God's going to respond. But as I really started thinking about this, I said, what if we were really honest with those questions that we have, the big ones? Like, God, did this really happen? And can you really do something in my life? Do I really believe that you're a God who still does the miraculous? Do I believe that you're a God that did? So what I thought we'd do this summer is really kind of use that conversation that I had as a framework of dealing with some of the things in our life by looking at these miracle moments in the life of Jesus and asking ourselves a couple of questions. What is God doing and what does that mean for me? So as we look at these miracle moments in the life of Jesus over the course of the summer, we're going to be exploring it with what was God doing and what does that mean for me? Do I really believe that the prayers I just offered, God is big enough to move and do? Even if I don't see an end in sight. Do I really believe that God will still do the miraculous? And that's going to be the framework for where we go over the next few weeks. And it's not going to kind of go verse by verse by verse. We're going to be taking some of these miracle moments in life of Jesus, lifting them out and saying, God, what are you doing here? And do I believe you can still do these things in my own life? Do I believe you are a God that still does the miraculous, that still rolls away stones, that still heals, that still cleanses, that still frees? Do I believe you are a God that still breathes life? And do I believe you can do it for me? So over the next few weeks, that's kind of where we're going to be and what we're going to be looking at. And this morning, we're going to be in the book of Mark as we explore really my favorite kind of miracle moment all of the life of Jesus. And it's not the resurrection or the virgin birth. It's it's a moment that he has with two people that are wrapped up in incredible desperation. And I find myself very much wrapped up in these encounters that you'll see today. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. And and I, I thought long and hard. We're going to look at twenty something verses today. And, and they're, but they're two stories that really you have to take it kind of simultaneously, simultaneously, because that's when they're happening. I thought long and hard about whether or not I should just paraphrase it uh, or read it. But I'm going to actually read it because the truth is, scripture stands alone. Whether or not I explain it well or teach on it well or do whatever, doesn't matter. I'd rather you read it and hear it. Uh, then listen to me talk about it. So we're going to read it together, and then I'll kind of explain it. And then, then, worst case scenario, you read it, and that's all that we need. So um, math, or Mark chapter 5, we're going to be at verse 21. And before we go into this text together, let's pray. Let's just pray that God would open our hearts and kind of do something really, really amazing in us as we encounter his word. Let's pray. God, we've got a lot of things going on in our lives. We listen to all these prayer needs, all these requests, and the truth is, uh, Father, we... We've got a lot of stuff, a lot of things we think through. Some of us have family members that are sick or ill. Some of us have have our own sickness and illness. Some of us are dealing with big financial things. Uh, Some of us are dealing with huge relationship things. Some of us are dealing with career moments. We're all dealing with stuff. And uh, Lord, the truth is, is that those pressures a lot of times add up on our heart and you get lost in the shuffle. And so just for the next 15 minutes, God, I pray that we would be able to just give you all our heart. That whatever we walk in this room with, anxieties, fears, frustrations, whatever they are, that you would just literally peel them off of us. That we might come in contact with a God that still does, I believe, the miraculous. Take just a moment and pray in your own heart and just ask God to move in you this morning. Just ask him to teach your heart, um, teach your heart something powerful. take a moment and pray for someone beside you or in front of you, just somebody around you. As I say every week, be in the habit of praying for somebody else. Pray that God would move in them. God, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, so open our hearts and teach us today um, something really powerful about the nature, uh, about your nature and your character. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read these verses, and I want you to follow along with me if you've got your Bible. Um, and it's going to be in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and we're actually going to read all the way down through 43. And I want you to hear it, and then I'll kind of explain it and talk about it. Because this literally is my favorite kind of set-up miracle moments that Jesus has. And I want to launch out with these, this, this series today with these verses, because I believe that they are... Uh, well, I just believe that they set the stage for the miraculous life of Christ so well. So let's look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> when Jesus again had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came, to, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live and Jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had yet instead of getting better she grew worse when she heard about Jesus she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, and he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went where the child was. And he took her by the hand. And he said to her, little girl, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. and At this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now I love this picture because... We look at these stories all the time separately. You've probably heard them separately. You've probably heard about the woman that was subject to bleeding and she touched Jesus' clothes and she was healed. You may have heard about the the synagogue ruler's daughter and how Jesus raised from the dead. But you've got to understand, these things are happening simultaneously. This is one big, amazing moment. And Jesus is usually kind of followed by a lot of people. And he traveled by boat, got across the lake, and when he stepped out of the boat, this, this synagogue ruler, a religious leader, someone who is in charge of Jewish religious life, right, came over and found Jesus, stepping off of this boat and fell at his feet, which is an amazing thing, and I'll get to that in a minute, when a Jewish religious leader falls at the feet of Jesus, right, falls at his feet of Jesus and he says, he says, Jesus, my little girl, my little girl, and those of you that may have children can only imagine the emotion that is not captured in these sentences, Jesus, my little girl is dying, please, please come with me and lay your hand on her so that she will live stands up and and they begin to walk in this crowd, everywhere Jesus went, I mean we talk about this a lot, crowds just followed him, with mean, throngs of people, they all wanted to hear what he had to say, catch a glimpse of him, listen, all this stuff, and they're pressing against Jesus, and Jesus can't go anywhere without this crowd, and they're pressed up against him, and you can get the emotion of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, dragging Jesus with him, doing everything he can to quickly get to his house, but this crowd is pressing all against him, and Jesus is walking, and it says that there was this woman, who we don't know her name, who had been subject to bleeding, For 12 years, most likely some kind of menstrual bleeding, and and because of that, she's an outcast. All right? Leviticus 25 tells us that because of her condition, she literally was kicked out of society. Everywhere she went, she had to walk into a room or down the street shouting the words unclean, because if she touched anyone, they would become unclean too. so for 12 years, this woman's subject to bleeding. We know that she's suffered at the hands of, of doctors. No one's gotten, been able to make her well. Instead, she's gotten worse. And here she is pressing through this crowd, this crowd gathered around Jesus. Everyone's touching him. She thinks to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, then maybe I'll be healed. So sure enough, she presses through this crowd, this unclean woman pressing through this crowd. We have Jairus in desperation trying to get Jesus back to his house so that he can lay his hands on this little, little daughter. I mean, imagine that moment for yourself, trying to get back to your home through this crowd, and here comes this woman pressing through the crowd, and she reaches out and she touches Jesus' clothes. It says and immediately her bleeding stopped, and she could tell that her suffering had ended. Well, Jesus stopped, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? Everyone's touching you. No, he says, no, someone touched me. Says the woman realizing what has now happened, comes back. Didn't just take off, healed, done. She comes back and trembling, falls at the feet of Jesus. Much the way we saw Jairus. Falls at the feet of Jesus. Trembling, fearful. And just spills the whole truth. And Jesus looks down at her and stands her up and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Well, right as about when he says that, these people from Jairus' house come over and they go, it's too late. Your daughter died. You guys didn't get here in time. It's just quit bothering the teacher anymore. It's not worth it. She's dead. It says that Jesus ignored them, ignored those guys, and said, listen, just believe. Have faith. Takes Peter and James and John. He goes back to this little girl's house. People are there, and and they're wailing, and there's mourning, and everyone's just crying and screaming. And and in Jewish traditional kind of culture, wailing was really like, I mean, it really was an event. You actually paid and hired funeral processions to come in. It was a demonstration. People are screaming and wailing, and flutes are playing, and it's this crazy commotion. And so Jesus looks at the mom and the dad, and he says, come with me. Leaves all that commotion outside. He goes, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Everyone just starts laughing. So he takes mom and dad and Peter and James and John. And they walk into this room where this dead girl is. And he tells her to get up and, you know, the miracle moment there. She gets up and takes food and she's healed. Now, I love this picture. I love it because I find myself wrapped up in here a lot. But, but let's if you look at these things simultaneously, these things happening in a matter of 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever that time period might be, happening back to back. And, and, and you, if we take them, we look at them together, we're going to see some really significant things that I want you to pay attention to this morning. we we'll look at what God is doing and really what does that mean for me in terms of these miraculous kind of moments. In all of scripture that we see, there are probably not two more polar opposite people than the two people that we see in this story. You've got this Jewish religious synagogue ruler. He's the guy that's in charge of the synagogue in the city. He is kind of a big deal. We know his name is Jairus and we know that he is a religious leader. Politically and socially and culturally, he is the man. Alright, we know that about him. He's healthy, but he's got a daughter that's dying. On the other hand, we've got this woman who has no name, who is sick. I mean physically sick. She's unhealthy spiritually as well, because Levitical law tells us that she's unclean. Everywhere she went, she has to say, unclean, unclean, so crowds can scatter, and no one may accidentally touch her, because even by Levitical law, if you accidentally brushed her clothes, you yourselves were unclean and had to go outside of town, so no one would touch her. So she walks to these cities going, unclean, unclean. Every room she walked into, she's been to all the doctors. The Bible tells she spent everything that she had and wasn't getting any better. Instead, she was getting worse. You have these polar opposite figures. Jarius, religious leader, kind of a big deal, healthy. Culturally, politically, socially, just important. And then you've got this unnamed woman, unhealthy, Socially, politically, culturally, just a mess. But in spite of those major differences, there's some similarities here that are remarkable. That I, I, This is why I love so much the nature of God. Because if you think about it, both of these folks, although totally different people, are in the almost the exact same situation. They're both in the middle of desperation. I don't know if you've had a family member or a child that has been gravely ill. I don't think I can fully understand the expression of what this dad is feeling. A lot of times the emotion behind stories in the Bible are lost on us. Like we just, it's just a story about a dad whose daughter's dying. I've got a 10-year-old. I can't imagine the emotion that must be wrapped up in the desperation in this father's voice. My daughter's dying. He falls at the feet of Jesus. The incredible thing, and I'll explain this in a minute, of, of this religious leader falling at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him. My daughter is dying. Please, please, just come touch her. I mean, the desperation that will be wrapped up in a parent's plea for their dying child. I I can't fathom it. Then you've got the desperation of this woman imagine 12 years of your life being an outcast. Not just an outcast, but like a physical, someone that no one would have any contact with. You've lost your family. No one will touch you. You shout these words everywhere you go. You are, as far as society goes, you are an eyesore. I mean, you might as well have leprosy. Desperate. Doctors can't help me. I'm getting worse. She's dying. If not physically, definitely spiritually and emotionally. You've got Jairus and this unnamed woman at desperation. Both have exhausted all of their options. I mean, you think all the things that Jairus had gone through before he came to Jesus, because I promise you this, Jesus was going to be the last resort he had. He was going to go to the chief priest. He was going to go to the Pharisees. He was going to go everywhere he could. He was going to raise money, go to doctors. This guy had means. No one was able to help his daughter. So he had heard about this Jesus, and he thought, this is my last resort. Same thing with this woman. She's been to all the doctors, she's exhausted all of her money, she's not getting any better, she's getting worse, yet she knows every person she touches in this crowd becomes unclean as she pushes her way through it. Standing, Jesus standing there with the synagogue ruler, too. She comes pushing her way through that crowd. You talk about desperation, exhausting all your options, this is it, it's all I've got. Both of them figured that somehow Jesus was the answer. I mean, they'd heard the stories. They probably couldn't confirm if all these miracles were true, but they'd heard the stories. And they both had some kind of notion that if I can just get close to him, he can heal. And that's what Jerry said, right? He goes, if you just come lay your hand on my daughter, she'll live. And the woman said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. We don't have any understanding that any of these folks, the woman or Jairus, were believers, that they were any of those kind of things. They just heard the stories of this Jesus and somehow figured that he might be the answer. And then finally, they both risked everything. I mean, Jairus risked his his entire career, his life, his cultural life, because if the Pharisees and the chief priests found out that Jairus was associating with Jesus spending time with him touching him having him come to his home they were going to cast him out I mean, there's just no way around it because the religious leaders wouldn't have anything to do with this Jesus so he risked it all his cultural his political his career everything to bring Jesus back to his house and again this woman did the same thing she risked it all she's gonna push the crowd right to the center where this ruler was this Jewish ruler the guy that had all the power to throw her out of town and she was just going to try and touch Jesus. This picture of desperation is is really amazing to me. Because out of the middle of it, we see a couple of things happen. We see, well, we see healing, right? I mean, we see the amazing miracle moment where Jesus heals her daughter and we see the woman get healed. But there's really something much deeper going on. And and if you look at these interactions, they're really powerful. I mean, think about Jairus. When when those folks come, I mean, imagine your emotion when the people come from your house, your friends, and they come and they stop and they say, it's too late. She's dead. Your daughter's died. Imagine the emotion that is welled up in you. What does Jesus say to Jairus? He looks at him. He ignores the voices of these guys or whoever came. He ignores them and he looks at Jairus and he says, just have faith. Just believe. Right? He gives these words of, of sort of healing into his Heart, hope just just ignore it and look look at me just look at me just believe and this woman i find this remarkable she touches her his clothes she's healed cleansed freed her she can tell her suffering is gone jesus says who touched me she figures out what's going on and what does she do she comes and she falls at his feet the same way that jerry said, she falls at his feet and it says that she told him the whole truth she didn't make up an excuse she just laid it all out there fearful and trembling what does jesus say to her he looks at her and he says daughter your faith has healed you now i know what's lost on us is this we don't understand the power wrapped up in the word daughter but do you know how long it's been that since anyone called that woman their daughter i mean she was a religious mess she was a mess she was unclean and sinful no one's called her a child, a daughter, any of those loving words. But Jesus looks at her and he says, daughter. In other words, God loves you. Because there was an association. In fact, we learn this in scripture that people had that they thought that their physical conditions were tied to their sinful life, right? We even see this happening. These, they, the disciples in Jesus pass these blind guys, and they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? These people are their parents because they're blind. And Jesus basically says, well, neither of them kind of sinned. That's not the reason they're blind. This happened so that you could see God's power, and he healed them. But there was an association in that culture that thought because you were unclean or sinful or hurting or whatever, handicap, whatever word that you want to use there, that somehow God was punishing you for your sin. This woman had probably carried that around for years of her life, feeling like God hated her and was punishing her with this condition. So when Jesus looked at her, basically he's saying, God loves you, daughter. There's hope and there's healing. And what I find remarkable about, about the story, just to kind of wrap this thought up, is out of desperation, right? Out of this desperation leads to hope and healing. Neither of these people engage in an academic exercise on whether or not the miracles they'd heard Jesus perform were true. None of them weighed out their options. He goes, well, I heard he fed 5,000, but that can't really help because there's only 12 loaves of bread. There's no way that really happened. I mean, they, at those moments of desperation, didn't care. They knew they just had to be next to him. You and I engage our Christian faith with sometimes such an intellectual kind of, could this be? sometimes it takes moments of desperation when you just say, look, I'm out of options. I just want to trust you. I don't know where you are in your life. What do you think about the miracle moments of Jesus, what you think about God who I believe created the universe, what you think about any of those things, any of these miracles in the Bible. Maybe you're like that guy I met in the coffee shop that's like, look, I don't know. I don't know that I can buy it because I can't see it. it didn't happen with my own eyes. But what I see in scripture is when people come to the end of themselves, end of all that they have, they're willing to fall on their face in front of God, and God changes their lives. Sometimes it takes us ridding ourselves of all those other things to finally just say, God, I need you. I've exhausted all my options. I'm desperate. I need you. And we lay our lives down at the feet of Jesus without worrying about what kind of things may or may not be academically sound. And we just trust him. And Meredith and I were talking about this last night. We were talking about this idea of of miracles. And we decided that some places in our lives, we just need to quit overthinking and just start trusting. Because what I went on to tell this guy was that I could not, this guy in the coffee shop, was that I couldn't prove to him that all the miracles in the Bible were true. I couldn't. But what I could tell him was that with my own life, I believe that they were more real than the air that I breathe. And that I believe that God wanted him to know the same thing. I don't know what you believe about the miraculous, but what we're going to explore over the course of the summer is do you believe that God can still do amazing and miraculous things in your own life? Do you believe that not only can he do things like those miraculous moments we see, the healings that we see in this text, but do you believe he'll meet you in the middle of your desperation and your pain and heal your heart? See, these miracle moments are not just about Jairus' daughter and the woman's cured of her bleeding, but it was about Jesus meeting him in the middle of it and saying, don't worry, daughter. It's about Jesus taking that mom and dad by the hand and walking them into their daughter's room and the moment that they had that will forever change their lives. Sometimes we have to get past ourselves so that we can truly trust Jesus. As we step into the series of the next course of the summer, I want you to really ask yourself this. Am I really willing to lay my life down and trust the God that gave his life for me? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the intro to these miracle moments.